Well, good morning, everybody. Well, we're continuing our series in Red Letters. In fact, when the second service is over today, uh, we'll be halfway through with Red Letters, which is hard to believe because this is the longest series of the year. I rarely ever do an eight-week series, uh, but this series will go all the way up to Easter, and a lot of you have responded to me, and you told me what the series is meaning in your life, and I think the reason why, um, scratch that, I know the reason why it's having the impact that it is, is that you are opening your life to the words of Jesus. And that's what Red Letters is all about. Um, that's, my cute title came from the fact that a lot of us have Bibles that have red letters in them, and the reason why those letters are red is because they're the very words of Jesus. And I know that all the Bible's the Word of God, but the words of Jesus are just awesome because, as our tagline says, nobody ever talked like this before. And in case this is maybe the first time that you've been at New Spring, uh, it's kind of interesting that the, the, the people who said that about Jesus, nobody ever talked like this, they had been sent out to arrest him. And he was so overpowering and so overwhelming with the beauty of his words that they couldn't touch him. And when they came back to explain why they didn't arrest him, they said to those who had, that had sent them, nobody ever talked like that before. But I, I think about that tagline in a really different way, and I haven't even said this, I didn't say it in the two services last night, I, I haven't said this up till now, but just on a personal note, the reason why I, I wrote that tagline, nobody ever talked like this before, is that nobody can talk to me like Jesus can talk to me. And let me just tell you why that is. Number one, nobody can talk to me like Jesus because nobody but Jesus well, let's just say it this way. He knows me better than anybody else knows me. Do you know that? He knows you better than anybody else knows you. He is God. And the Bible says even the very hairs of your head are numbered, which in my case with that declining balance that always is there, he just has to be all over that. So at least I'm grateful. That's the good, one good thing about balding is I get a lot of attention from him because he has to keep counting my hairs. No, you know I'm being facetious. He, he just knows me better than anybody else. And then, you know, on top of that, he loves me more than anybody else. You think about this, and we'll talk about this Palm Sunday. He put wood on his back after he'd been beaten to death nearly and carried it through the streets of Jerusalem, and he laid down on that and let men nail nails into his hands and his feet in order to forgive my sin and make a way for me to have a relationship with God. And beyond that, every, every day of my life, he stands up to represent me to the Father, even though my life has got many failures and faults in it. I, I, nobody ever talked like that because nobody ever loved me like, like Jesus. I've been very fortunate to have been loved a great deal in my life. But nobody ever talked like Jesus because nobody knows me like he knows me. Nobody loves me like he loves me. And here's the thing. You know, God could qualify, you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit could qualify for those first two. But there's an area that, where Jesus goes that not even the Father and the Holy Spirit can go. And that is that Jesus knows what it's like to become human. And the Bible says he's gone through everything I've ever gone through. Everything that's been thrown at me has been thrown at him. He knows what my life is like. So when he opens his mouth to talk, it's no wonder we say nobody ever talked like, like him. And I shared with you some stuff of last winter when I was physically ill and going through a time of anxiety and exhaustion. And uh, the words of Jesus really were what framed this series during that time because I would open my Bible and I would want to go straight to the words of Jesus and they were so transformative in my life. And so as I, as I came into the series, my chore was to, to, to take the top eight things that Jesus said, and not that I could, I'm, I'm no way qualified to do that, but I had eight talks that I was going to bring to you. And I, I wanted to think about what were the eight things that Jesus said 
that, that I, I would think in my personal life were the greatest things that he ever said. And today, I want to bring you to the most practical place. In, in fact, when this is over, you, you're probably going to say, I don't even know that we heard a sermon, because at times, this is going to feel like I'm, I've, I've got four different topics. But there's a practical principle that Jesus brings to us that works in several different places in our life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you that principle, and I'm going to show you four places where Jesus says it's very, very important in our lives. So today we're going intensely practical. Um, let's just say it this way. One of, anytime you encounter God, you're going to experience liberty. You're going to experience freedom. God wants you to have freedom. And the reason for that is, is he doesn't want robots for children. He, if someone loves him, God wants that person to love him from the heart. So God doesn't make us robots. He gives us freedom. We have choices. Therein lies a little bit of the issue, though, because when we make choices, there are outcomes or ramifications of those choices. And so Jesus is going to take, do some practical teaching today because, remember, he loves us more than anybody, knows us better than anybody, and he's been human, so he knows what it's like to live in our world. Jesus is going to give us some very practical teaching, and he's going to give us a principle that we can plug in just about any place in our lives. So let me give you that principle. Here are the words of Jesus. If you don't see why, they, why this particular line made the big eight, I hope you will at least when the message is over, okay? Here's the word of Jesus. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Simply put, Jesus is saying to me, Mark, your choices have ramifications. Your choices have outcomes. And the determinations that you make in certain areas of your life, you're going to see again. It's very, very important for us because we need to see how this works. Well, first of all, Jesus gave us this principle because he knows that we can be a little bit selfish, selfish in relationships. And so this is what Jesus said to us. This is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Now, do you see how this correlates with the principle that we read a few moments ago? Because Jesus said, the measure you use on, on others is the measure that will come back to you. Now, Jesus is going to make this specific now to human relationships. Do to others whatever you would like for them to do to you. Now, he was not the first teacher to talk on this topic. And some of you are going to say, well, well, Mark, this is just another way of saying what goes around comes around. This is just another way of saying karma not on your life. There is an eternity of difference between the two. And let me show you what I mean by that. There were other teachers who taught something similar, but they would teach it from a negative perspective. They would say something like this. If you don't want somebody to do this to you, then don't do it to them. The idea of karma, the idea of what goes around comes around, is that there's some sort of impersonal force out there in the universe. But Jesus is talking about something totally different. He's not talking about an impersonal force. He's talking about a personal God. He's not talking about a general tide of supernatural that takes place out there in the universe somewhere. He's talking about an everlasting God who manages the world and involves himself in human relationships. So what Jesus did, and I love this, he took it from the negative and he took it to the positive. And he said, whatever you would like for people to do to you, that's what you do for people. I love that. Now, I realize that right out of the box, most of you are going to check this first one, and you're going to say, Mark, I do, really, I do really well at this. I treat people very well. I've pastored for 33 years. I've counseled for many of those years. And most people will tell me, Mark, I treat people very well. And I think I do too. But I think you and I need to take a moment and call a time out and look deep inside at our human nature. And is it not true that even with those of us who are very pleasant, 
and, and gr- smiling and gracious and kind? Is it not true that lurking down there below the surface is this benevolent desire to get our own way, to get as much as we can get out of people? I don't know why I thought about the story getting ready for this talk, but many years ago, I had a staff member named John Ulrich. John grew up at our church and went to graduate from, from Wichita State, and then he went to Dallas Seminary, and then after he graduated from seminary, he came back to work on my staff. He was one of my first staff members. John loved to hunt. I mean, whatever it was, if it was game and if it, if it was in season, John would go after it. And he loved to try to get me out of the office because I'd, I'd try to stay, you know, busy all the time. And John would say, Mark, you, you got to come out with me and let's go hunt. Let's go duck hunting. Let's go pheasant hunting. Let's go deer hunting. And so I hunted more with, when he was on my staff than I ever did before or after. Now, you Kansans, I got to tell you, you just amaze me the kind of weather y'all will go out in because in Texas, we would never go out on certain days. And it was one of those days, and it was about two degrees, and the wind was blowing about 35, 40 miles an hour in January, and I was just expecting any moment, about 4, 35 o'clock, John to call and say, Mark, it's just too cold to go out. But no, I, I heard his pickup truck outside my back door running, and I thought, I cannot believe we're going out today. So I got into the truck, and thankfully, John had it heated up. But I should tell you that John had a dog. He had a Vimeroner named Morgan. And Morgan, if John was here, I'd have to say it. Morgan was not really useful as a hunting dog. She was beautiful. (laughs) She was playful. She was fun. But frankly, whenever we would take Morgan out, we would spend more time hunting Morgan than we would hunting pheasant. And Morgan could bust a covey, but the only problem was it was in the next zip code, you know? And we would see him fly, but we just, were too, we were out of shooting range. So it, it was just, it was so much fun sometimes to be out with Morgan because you just never knew what she was going to do. But anyway, long story short, I get in the front seat and the pickup truck cab is warm. Morgan's sitting there, you know, on the hump and, and she's sort of looking up at me and smiling at me as dogs can, you know, and, and sweet personality dog. And after a few minutes, Morgan just gently slipped her right front leg up in my lap and just smiled up at me. And then very quietly, just so slow that I would never notice, of course, she moved her right rear leg up into my lap. And just looked at me like, you don't have any idea what I'm doing, do you? (laughs) Then she quietly moved her left front leg into my lap. And as long as I live, I'll never know how the dog did it. She managed to shift her entire weight into my lap. And all of a sudden, I'm holding this huge dog, and she's looking up at me like, I did that so gradually. You have no idea what I just did. (laughs) Some of us can be just like Morgan. We're smiling, we're friendly, we're kind. And if I ask you how you treat people, you'd say, oh, Mark, listen, I I check that box. I treat people really well. But at our core, at our core, the fact of the matter is, we're still trying to get as much out of people as we possibly can. And Jesus is just, he's, he's recognizing the fact that we can be a little bit selfish. And he is saying, do to others what you would like for others to do to you. Let me give you a few thoughts and we'll move on to the next one. I think the first thing that Jesus is calling us to do is to see others' needs and feelings through our eyes. You know, it's it's important for us to, to, with the people that are in our lives, to look at their needs, their hurts, their feelings, 
And you imagine what it would be like if we were ourselves going through that. I think it calls us to think about living our life under their circumstances. Just a few moments ago, I was talking to a, a, a real friend and brother, and both he and his wife have contracted cancer. And as far as I know, I don't have cancer today. But it calls me to think about what if I were living my life with his circumstances? You know, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful marriage, but I have friends who have a broken marriage, and it calls me to look at their lives and say, what if I was living my life? What if I had the normal pressures that I have, but I was living in their circumstances? You see what I mean? Jesus is calling us what, to look at other people's lives and think about what it would be like if we were walking in their shoes. I, I noticed that Jesus didn't say, do to others what others are doing to you, because that would be the American way. You know, the American way is, well, I'll treat people well if they'll treat me nicely. That's not what Jesus said. And he said, whatever you would like people to do to you, do to those people. See, this is the most important thing I'll say on this before I move on. This is a way of life. Not, it's not situational. Because a lot of us think, okay, well, I get this do unto others what you would like, you know, because I've got friends that treat me nice, so I'll treat them nice. My mother-in-law is, is a witch from not heaven, and I... Going to treat her badly because she treats me badly. No, no, this isn't situational. Because see, here's the thing: if if people that are not people of faith hear the golden rule, here's how they interpret: I'm going to do to others what I would like for others to do to me. Because when I treat them nicely, it's going to inspire them to think differently about me, and they're going to treat me well. Hey, let me tell you: there are going to be some people that you're going to treat well that are never going to treat you well. You're going to be kind to some people who will never be kind to you. You're going to be giving to people who will rob you. This is not situational. This is an act of faith. If I treat people the way I want to be treated, I do not put my well-being into that person's hands. That would give that person way too much power. What God is saying, look, Mark, trust Jesus enough to treat people the way you would like to be treated. And what God is saying is, I'll take care of you. Guys, i got to tell you, that's true. I've been kind to a few people who have stabbed me in the back. That is a fact. But there are so many people who have been good to me that I've never done anything good for. God has a way of making that work. So when Jesus tells me whatever I get measure out, I'm going to get back, he tells me that because he knows I can be selfish. Number two, Jesus tells me that because he knows I can get a little full of myself and I can start judging others. Judging is a lot more complicated than it sounds. Judging is just, an, it's just superiority. It's a sense that I'm so superior, I can frame an opinion of somebody else, or I can frame an opinion of another group of people. Sometimes it can even be framing an opinion of a race of people. But judging is just the feeling of being full of myself that somehow I can make an evaluation of another person. And most of the time, trials take place when we're gossiping, a lot of trials take place at the water cooler at work. But after we read what Jesus is going to say about judging, I think most of us are going to like say, I'm going to like uh, turn in my gavel and my, my robe, okay? Because look at what Jesus says. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. That should make cold chills go down some of our spines this morning. You will be treated as you treat others. The standard you, oh, ouch. 
The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. How many of us are feeling more generous right about now? Okay? And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in yours? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Tell us what you really mean, Jesus. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, time out for a moment. What is judging? Because some of you could say, well, Mark, I'm in management. I have to evaluate people every day. It's not what Jesus is talking about. And let me just say it this way, because there are, every once in a while, I'll hear someone say, Mark, my friend, is in, you know, he's having an affair, and he's about to wreck his, wreck his marriage and, and his family, and he's doing wrong, but I don't want to judge. No, adultery's already been judged as wrong. God judged that. And if I lovingly confront a friend who's doing something wrong, I'm not judging that friend. I'm just passing on the judgment from God, but I'm doing it in a loving way, considering my own life. So what is judging? Well, this may not be a perfect definition, but as I've thought about it through the years, judging, judging, judging is attaching to somebody else what only God can see, what only God can know, and what only God can do. Because I think a lot of times when we judge, we think we can see more than we, can, than we really can see. We think we know more than we know. And we, we sometimes begin to predict people's futures based on what they've done in the past. And how can we know somebody's future? You know, a lot of times, like I said, we, we think we know more than we know, and, and we can just know a piece of a story, and we feel like we can fill in the rest, right? Somebody's doing something, and, and it looks suspicious, or it looks wrong. Well, we think we, we know the rest of it, but that's where we need to like take a deep breath and back away for just a moment and wonder what we would feel like, because how many of us have been accused of doing something we never did just because somebody thought they, they guessed, Some of you have been in trials before, and you've watched judges instruct juries before the jury goes out to craft a verdict. There's one word that judges don't use before they send juries out, and that's the word guess. If you don't know if this guy's guilty or not, hey, just take a stab at it. Just guess. Give us your best guess. No. But some of us do that. We don't know. One of my favorite stories, and this is an old story, you can tell that by when you, you know, the, for, the sports franchise I'm going to refer to is not in the town anymore, but there was a bunch of people at a mall, and, and there was a teenage girl, and she was wearing a, a shirt, a jersey, and it said harlot on it, harlot, H-A-R-L-O-T. And a woman was there with her husband, and she said, isn't that the most awful thing you've ever seen in your life? Imagine. A teenage girl walking around the mall brazenly saying she's a harlot. And about that time, the girl raised her arms. It was a jersey for the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> just, the, you know, we wear jerseys that are too big. You see in the last two letters, weren't visible. Isn't that the way you and I are a lot of times? We, oh, I, well, listen, I know. I know what I know, only to find out we didn't know what we thought we knew. See, judging is when we don't know, we, we, we make a verdict on something, and we, we try to know what only God can know, or only, see what only, what only God can say. Number two, a lot of times we, we think we know more than we know, and this is where we get into judging a lot of times somebody's motive. 
And here's the thing, you and I can see somebody's actions sometimes, but we don't necessarily know their motives. And one of the reasons why we judge is we say to ourselves, well, if I did that, this is what would precipitate that. If I said that, this would be what's behind it. But you're not saying it, and you're not doing it. It's that person. They may operate very differently, and this really goes to marriage because there's not a man in the world who knows how a woman thinks, and there's not a woman in the world who knows how a man thinks. And a whole lot of the World War III arguments go back to somebody assigning motive. And most of the time they got the wrong motive. That other person got very defensive. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you have an explosion because somebody tried to know what only God can know. And then sometimes, you know, we, we, we see somebody do something wrong and oftentimes it's our own kids, our friends. And we think, wow, this, their life is finished. Their life is wrecked. That's judgment. Do you realize that? I mean, listen to what the Bible says. This, this is the verse that I think about most often when I'm inclined to judge. Romans 14, 4 says, who are you to judge somebody else's servant? To his own master, that's God, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to stand. You, you see somebody, you say, well, that, that person will never come back from that. Well, how do you know? You don't know what God's able to do in that person's life. Let me ask you a question, New Spring. We're pretty open church here. How many of us, somebody wrote our obituary and said we would never come back and we would never have a life that was worth anything? But God came along, and I don't mean literally or physically, but spiritually, maybe even more more powerfully, God came along and picked us up and made us stand. And you be careful about writing somebody's obituary because they've done something wrong. Judging is when we get into the business of what only God can see, what only God can know, and what only God can do. I'm not going to spend much time on this next one because I, I need to get to the most important one, but let me just... Hit it a glancing blow. Jesus gives me this principle of whatever I measure ought to be measured back to me because he knows I can be stingy, especially in the area of giving. Whether it's giving to God or giving to somebody in need or giving Americans, we can give, we'll give money before we'll give time, won't we? And so many of you, you're going to volunteer. You're here in this service, but you're going to volunteer in the next service. You're giving your time. Some of you are here this morning. You volunteered last night at New Spring. Huge. And Jesus said, if you give, it'll be given back to you. And if you give stingily, then God said you'll get back sparingly. On the other hand, if you give generously, God said you'll get back generously. Listen to Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure, here's Jesus' statement, for with the measure you use, be measured to you. Now, for those of us who in America, this thing about pressed down, shaking together is like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> it's a very agricultural society back in those days. The most precious commodity basically was food. And so a lot of times when people were getting corn, they would hold out the front of their apron and allow someone to pour corn into the, to their apron. And so they would fill it up. But then if someone came along and pressed it down and shook the apron, all of a sudden there was new capacity. It looked like it was full, but it wasn't. I love this. Isn't that great the way Jesus chose this? He said, look, if you will give, you'll think you're at capacity. And Jesus said, I'll surprise you. If you give, it'll be given to you. Okay, we'll, we'll save that for another day, except to say it's true. Let me go now. Because at this point, you could be saying, Mark, this is a good talk. It's a nice little pedestrian talk that you're giving us today. 
but I don't see how it rose to the big eight. All right. Let me give you the scripture that made this statement of whatever you measure out will be measured back to you. Let me give you the scripture that caused it to make the big eight. You know, we said Jesus knows that we can be selfish. He knows that we can be full of ourselves. He knows that we can be stingy. But he also knows that we can be dull when we're listening to God. You know, when we've got entertainment, when we've got sports, when we've got, you know, possessions and shopping and all these kinds of things and, and, you know, 600 channels on our televisions and technology and iPads and all kinds of, Jesus knows that we can get a little bit dull when it comes to listening to him. I want to take you to one of the most challenging scriptures that Jesus ever gave us. But before we do, let let me tell you a story that Jesus is in the process of telling we're an agricultural state pretty much here in Kansas, not so much in Wichita, but we know about planting. When, when we plant here in Kansas, I love to watch it. It's just all this huge mechanized equipment that puts a seed in the ground. But back in the day, when Jesus was teaching, there would be a, a sower or a planter who would go out with the seed in a sack, and he would just broadcast the seed, or she would broadcast the seed. That's how they would plant. So Jesus just kind of like tell them what everybody knew. He said there was this guy that went out to plant the other day, and he threw some seed out, and some of it fell on hard-packed road. There's a road where ruts, where wheels traveled, and people walked, and it was so trapped down that it was like rock. And Jesus said some of the seed fell there, but of course, seed's not going to penetrate. And Jesus said the birds came and ate seed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said some of the seed fell in a place where it looked like there was earth, it looks like, looked like there was soil, but the problem was there was just a thin layer of soil, and right underneath the, the top of the, the soil there was, a, there was rock, and when the seed fell into this earth and the rain came and the sun came out, it sprouted up real quickly, but then it, it couldn't have any root structure because the rock was in the way, and then when the sun came out, it just scorched the plant and it shriveled and died. And Jesus said, some of the seed fell where there was good soil, but like my gardens, there were thorns and weeds in it. I, you know what, I, and this is just me, when we get to heaven, if I find out I'm wrong, I'll come look you up and apologize, okay? I'm guessing that when the sower threw the seed out there among the weeds, that the weeds weren't visible yet. I, I think it was probably down to just, I think the earth had been tilled, and he, he thought he was throwing it out there in good soil, but for all of you who've ever tried to garden or farm, let me ask you a question. What grows faster, wheat or weeds? Or, you know, what, corn or weeds? What grows faster? I don't know why it is that way, but, you know, the, the, typically the seed came up and the plant, but then Jesus said the weeds and the thorns choked it. it didn't die, but it never produced fruit. And then Jesus said some of the seed fell in good soil, and it did what soil does, what seed does, rather. Seed multiplies. You put three kernels of corn in a hill, you don't expect to get three kernels of corn out. You expect to get ears of corn. Why? Because that's, that's the nature of seed. Seed multiplies. The disciples are like thinking, thank you, Lord, for the lesson on agriculture. Thank you for telling us about something that happens every day to every farmer. And Jesus said, no, you don't get it. Verse 15, the seed that fell on the footpath 
represents those who hear the message. So what is the seed? We know what it is. The seed is the message. Like today, you're getting seed. The seed is the word of God. The seed is red letters. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. In other words, let me just say it this way. What's interesting about all four soils that Jesus talks about here, it's the same seed. It's not four different seeds. It's the same seed. It's just like today's talk. It's the same talk. And hopefully not very many of us, but some of us will be like the hard pack hearer. I mean, the, the audible sounds of my voice will waft through your ears. But the NCAA and the beginning of spring break... And where we're going this afternoon and all that is really what's on your mind. And the sad thing is what you don't realize is there's something supernatural going on in the process because the Bible says, Jesus said, Satan at that point comes and just snatches it away. And it'll never be there again. It's gone. Then he said there's the second kind of hearer, and this is the person, well, let's just read about it. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or persecuted for believing God's word. So here is a person that comes in the new spring and is like, wow, my life is starting all over again. I'm encountering Jesus and it's awesome and I thought I'd never be in church before, but it's like just a little bit there on the surface and down below they, they don't really have a heart for God it's just sort of they're attracted to the culture and Jesus said there are a couple things that will always wipe this person out either they'll have some kind of problem and say well wait wait a minute I thought that following Jesus was like rubbing the lamp and the genie coming out and giving me three wishes and, and if following God I'm going to have problems well shoot I, I, I'm going to go back to where I was or Here's the deal. For a lot of us in 2011 America, there's certain things that Jesus teaches that are unpopular or politically incorrect. And let me just ask you this. If Jesus teaches you something politically incorrect and they don't applaud on Oprah for it, are you going to be able to handle that? Because a lot of us are not going to be able to handle that. Maybe not a lot, but some. Verse 18. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for things. Now, time out for a moment. I've been, I've been teaching this and reading this since I was a teenager. And one thing is apparent to me. Notice that this particular seed that fell among the thorns, it, it sprouted. It had genuine life. It just didn't produce fruit. See, I think the first two classes of hearers are not true believers. The hard-packed hearer that just doesn't ever let God into his heart and life and then the person that just has a shallow commitment to Jesus is not a real commitment. I don't believe those two people are believers. But this, these next two categories are believers. And, and here is a person that loves God and loves Jesus and hears the word and accepts Jesus and wants to follow him. But the problem is they got the worries of life. And guys, let me just tell you this. I'm still wrestling with this. I'm a person with anxieties and worries. And here's what I know, that when I am filled with worry, I can read God's word and it crowds it out. I can listen to a good talk and it crowds it out because worry is on the monitor. And sometimes it's money and sometimes it's things. And Jesus doesn't say it kills the plan. He just said it, it never, never lives up to its potential. And then, of course, he said, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word 
and they produce a harvest, and it multiplies, and on and on it goes. I got to take you to now one of the strangest things Jesus ever said, but it's something I really take seriously, okay? It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Just read it with me, and then we'll close. Pay close attention to what you hear. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, go to church, and he didn't even say, hear. He said, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. By Mark? No. By God. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Now, that's a strange text to me. That's one of those that I look at and I say, Lord, I want to make sure I'm really getting what you're saying. Because the Lord is saying, Mark, if you will pay attention to me, I'll give you greater understanding and I'll show you more truth. But Mark, if you're too busy for me, I'm going to close shop. How many of you ladies are married to a guy and you're talking to him and he said, I'm listening to you. And you say, no, you're not listening to me. You're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. Now tell me, because I've, I've talked to a lot of ladies through the years, what do you do after you try to get some guy's attention year after year after year? Isn't it true that after a while you begin to close down? And you say, well, there's no sense in even going there because he's not going to listen. There's no sense in even trying. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. If we're truly interested... He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into our lives. If we're truly interested, then Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you even more truth. It's like if you listen to a talk and, and you just like let, let God's word get into you like, you, like hopefully you are today, and you go home and you think about it, you see if this isn't true. See if all of a sudden God just doesn't start bringing thoughts to your mind. See when you open the Bible, stuff just start, doesn't start clicking for you. This and I'm through. It's next June, I'll be here 26 years. And I remember really well my first week here. And uh, I came in a transition process, a transition from our previous, with our, our previous pastor, had been a college professor of mine, and he'd been after me for three years. He was getting close to the end of his career. And so I came in a transition process. So when I first came here, he was still lead pastor, and then we became co-pastors, and then he became my associate, and I was lead pastor. It was just, it was a great experience. But when I got here, I, I sat down with him first day, and he gave me my job description. And I thought to myself, I could do this in my sleep. I mean, I thought, that this isn't all that heavy. And, and if you, those of you who know me really well, you know that with me, the unpardonable sin is boring me. Because if you bore me with my ADD, I'll, I'll check out. Plus, I've never been an office guy. I've never been a desk jockey. I mean, I love being with people. You know, if you make me sit behind a desk for eight hours, that's like sending me to purgatory. Purgatory doesn't exist, but I'm saying if that would be like sending me there, wherever it is. So I remember this one particular day, first week I was here in Kansas. Um, I, at 11 o'clock, I'd have done everything that was on my list. So I just got in my car. We were on South Hillside back in the day. I drove down South Pawnee down to a neighborhood, just parked my car, and decided I would just walk up and down the streets and talk to people that were outside. And I'd go knock on some of their doors if I thought they were home. Now, how would you like that if I just came and knocked on your door and said, hi, you know? But back in the day, you could do that a little bit better. So I did that. 
for a little while. And I remember knocking on the door of this house, and, and the man opened the door, and he was very nice to me. He invited me inside. So I came in and sat down in his living room, began to talk with him. I said, hi, I'm Mark Hoover. I just moved up here from Texas, just getting accustomed to living here in Kansas, and I'm, I'm part of this church, and I just want to give you a personal invitation to come visit my church and maybe talk with you a little bit if you have a relationship with God. And we were sort of talking. And, and I looked down, and I looked at his coffee table. And folks, it was the most unusual piece of furniture I've ever seen in my life. And it had, had a wooden frame, you know, the four, four posts were wooden, but the table was like two or three inches thick, solid clear acrylic. And molded into the acrylic were rocks that had been cut widthwise, and there would have been ugly rocks on the outside, but on the inside, the most beautiful crystal patterns. And he had them molded into that clear acrylic where you could see them. And it just caught my attention, so I'm talking to him, but you know my ADD, and I just stopped for a moment, I said, that is the most beautiful piece of furniture I've ever seen in my life. He said, oh, well, thank you very much. He said, do you like it? I thought, I just told you it's the most beautiful piece of furniture I've ever seen in my life. He said, do you like it? I said, yes, I like it. He said, no, I mean, do you really like it? And I said, yes, I really like it. He said, come with me. And a lot of the houses back built in that day in the 40s and 50s, if you can imagine, they have a living room at the front, a little breezeway hallway in the middle, and a den behind. So he took me into the den. And we go back into the den, and folks, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. Every piece of furniture in the room, except what you sat on, was made like that. The, the coffee tables had rocks in them. The end tables had rocks in them. This is a fact. I know that some of you are going to question me, but this is a fact. The lampshades were made out of clear acrylic with rocks all the way around. Everything in the room was that way. It was like a whole room full of that kind of furniture. I sort of think that's how God is. Because see, here's the thing. If you're not attracted to God's word, he's not going to overwhelm you with it. But you know, many of us, we don't know as much about Jesus as we want to know. We don't know much about God as we want to know. We, we don't understand the Bible as well as we would like to understand it, and God knows that. But even if you don't know very much of it, if you're just attracted to it, you know, and you just say, Lord, I really like that today. You know, that most of Mark's talk is pretty pedestrian, but that, you know that one verse he had, that was really cool, and I really like that. You know what will happen if you do that? The Lord will say, you like that? Yeah. No, I mean, do you really like it? Yeah, Lord, I really like it. Well, come with me. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you love his message, he'll blow your mind with it. Well, as I said, at times this probably felt like four different sermons. But there's a governing principle. And that governing principle is whatever measure you measure out, you're going to see it again. You know, if you think about it, that's one of the most positive things that Jesus ever said because you realize that if you and I obey him in that area of treating people well, that God will bless us. If we obey him by not judging others, then God will create an easier standard for us. You realize if we give, then God will bless us. And if we open our hearts to God's word, then God's going to fill us with more understanding. Thanks for listening today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that Jesus, we will receive the part of it if, uh, that we need the most and receive it all, really. 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't uh, forget that the choices that we make every day are hugely important. Help us to make them by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me just one more moment? I know today we didn't talk about this very much, but I never want to close the service without sharing with you the, the best news of all, and that is that God wants to have a relationship with you, that Jesus, his son, hung on a cross to pay for your eternal life, and that anyone, regardless of what you've done, you can be forgiven of your sin, you can be adopted as God's child, and have a relationship that cannot be broken. And the Bible tells us over and over, we saw this last week, that it's by faith, it's by believing. And today, if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, you may not understand everything about it, but if you believe he died for you, if you believe he arose from the grave, and if you believe that he loves you and wants to give you a new life, and you're willing to turn from your old way of living and invite Jesus in, he'll come into your life today. Say, Mark, I'd like to, I don't know how. Well, I'm going to do something right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not this prayer that saves you. It's this prayer just kind of calls out to God. I'm going to pray it slowly because the important thing is for you to think about what it means and to express these feelings to God as you pray. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I realize I can't save myself, but I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe his blood paid for my sin. And I believe Jesus rose from the grave. And I commit myself to that message through faith in Jesus. Please forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen.